Turning over to Mark chapter 3, we're doing a series in search of the real Jesus. We've done several lessons already. We're making our way through Mark's account. Of course, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're blessed to have four different uh, well-researched uh, historical documents of faith that uh, teach us and help us to understand who Jesus was and perhaps uh, who Jesus is to know the real Jesus, in search of the real Jesus. That's what we're doing here. Uh, if you've got a Bible, please look there with me in Mark 3. And if not, uh, perhaps there's somebody sitting near you that would be willing to share with you uh, as we get to the lesson here uh, just in a few moments. Um, how's everybody feeling today? You, uh, you seem to be uh, an extra special uh, joy today. Uh, anybody uh, have any reasons for that joy? You're, you're, you're high on the candy from... Uh, because even though you didn't necessarily go trick-or-treating yourself, one of the great things about this particular celebration is you get to have all that's left over. Uh, so a lot of you have got that. You've got an extra hour of sleep, right? And uh, perhaps your favorite college football team won yesterday. You know, uh, I know mine did. Uh, it's a pretty good day when even when Tennessee and Michigan both won. Because that hasn't happened much lately. But I know we got a few uh, Michigan... Uh, fans in here. I'm, I may be, Rob and I may be the only Tennessee fans. Connie, can we include you, Mary Kay? Uh, there's a sister named Tennessee in the campus ministry, and I, I'm only assuming that she loves college football and that uh, her parents uh, named her for the, uh, the great state of Tennessee and specifically their college football team. I'm assuming that's right, isn't it? Just, just nod your head. No. No. So uh, we are doing this series. So I want to, uh, there's a question to consider that is really going to help us today. And I'm hoping this will be a day where all of us can take a little time to personally reflect and perhaps be unusually honest with ourselves. Uh, this is not just for those of you who are maybe visiting with us or here for the first time or not yet come to faith. This is for all of us, and perhaps it is even most especially for those of us who would say that we have been believers, followers of Jesus for many, many years. So here's the, uh, the question to consider. How hard is it for you to admit that you are wrong? Yes, a lot of, I get a lot of knowing, knowing nods there, don't I? Uh, how often do you find that you actually change your opinion about anything? I'm afraid that the older that we get, that it seems to be more and more difficult to uh, admit that we're wrong or to change our opinion on something. Um, I've titled the lesson today, I May Be Wrong, But I Doubt It. Uh, how many of you know where I got that title? Nobody have an idea? It's a book title. 
Uh, it's written by none other than Charles Barkley. <laughs> the great prophet of our age. Now, if you, if you follow basketball, particularly professional basketball, you might know who Charles Barkley is. He was an NBA star for many years, and uh, now he uh, does studio work, halftime, pregame, postgame work for uh, NBA television broadcasts, has for many years on, uh, I believe it's TNT. He's from Auburn University, so uh, Tom knows who he is. Uh, but he's... Uh, He's a very interesting person. He's very opinionated, uh, and he's actually quite fascinating. A lot of us tune in just because we want to hear what he has to say, and he's very opinionated. In fact, my wife, who really could care less about basketball, if she walks to the room and Charles Barkley is on, she sits down and wants to hear what he has to say. But Charles is very opinionated, and so... Uh, he has this actually a best-selling book, evidently not best-selling in this group of people, but uh, he wrote a best-selling book entitled, I May Be Wrong, But I Doubt It. And in some of his, he just expounds on his opinions about, you know, everything, not just basketball, not just sports, but life. And so uh, I'm not going to necessarily recommend it. I haven't read the book. I'm going to stick with the Bible. But... Um, <laughs> Anyway, that's where I got the title. So James Donvito, who does, he puts all our lessons online. I want you to uh, use, you don't do them online, you don't put them online anymore? Huh? I was just surprised it called you out. Well, I'm just trying to keep you awake, James. Seems like maybe you didn't get your extra hour of sleep. But James uh, puts our lessons online, and so the title for the lesson is, I want to use this title, I may be wrong, but I doubt it. And so if people go to our website, they may want to listen to that just to see what it's about. Uh, they might assume the wrong uh, point about it, but maybe it'll intrigue people enough to, uh, to listen to it. Um, but, you know, this whole thing of being able to admit that you're wrong and changing your opinion, I, it's tough. I get it. I, I get it. I, I think we all understand, don't we? Uh, it's... It's just the reality of our humanity. It's, it's so much a part of, you know, uh, who we are. And, and we just feel so often that our self-esteem is at stake, right? Our reputation with other people is at stake. And so we constantly want to prove, to demonstrate, to be able to feel like we're right. And uh, if you don't agree with me, then you're wrong. And, you know, we want to hold on to our opinions. Uh, you know, sometime, one time somebody uh, asked me, uh, you know, said, and, and they said to me, he said, so it seems like you think all of your opinions are right. And I said to them, I mean, as just immediately and as in my mind where I go, well, of course I do. Why would I hold an opinion that I think is wrong? Um, so I think we sort of get that, but I think the point is, from a life perspective, and this lesson will help you today even if you don't believe in Jesus, but maybe even especially from a spiritual perspective, we always need to be humble and understand that perhaps there's a possibility that what we believe or what we think about anything, maybe especially even our faith, it could be wrong. 
Maybe there's still more to learn. Maybe we haven't arrived yet. Um, there was a story I thought of uh, several weeks ago. I guess the last time I spoke was two weeks ago. I told a story about uh, me and some of the uh, other ministry guys that I worked with in the ministry here. We were driving, we'd never been to Las Vegas before, and we were driving to, uh, or we'd never been to Laughlin, Nevada before, and uh, never been to Las Vegas either, I guess, but uh, Laughlin, it turns out, is way in the southern part of Nevada, and Las Vegas is more northern, right? And so we were convinced, we were trying to get to Laughlin, and we were all convinced that we knew where we were going right until we got over a hill and saw Las Vegas. And then we realized we had been on the wrong road for a long, long time. Um, I thought of another story that I could have shared uh, last week, but I, I, I'm, I'm saying it for today. This is a story about Rob, my friend Rob. He was the guy who did the contribution earlier. He appeared like a very smart man, didn't he? Uh, appeared very accomplished. Uh, you know, um, but Rob and Marty Fuquay, by the way, today is Marty Fuquay's birthday. So if you see him here, uh, tell him you love him and he's old. Um, he's 59 today. Um, he's younger than me. But anyway, um, his birthday's today. He'll be here if you're here at the Good Enough Parenting Class. But anyway, so Marty and Rob and I are playing golf one afternoon. And so uh, we have a great time, and then we're driving, and we frequently play out in the Inland Empire, and we were out in the Riverside area. And so if you know a little bit about that area, it's a little confusing, some of the roads out there. There's the 60, and there's the 10, and there's the 210, and there's the 215, and there's the 15, and, you know, and so we were out there in the Riverside area, and we, had, uh, we were on our way home from the golf course, and uh, I was in the back seat. Uh, it was dark. I was in the back seat taking a nap. I felt like that was a very good use of my time at that particular moment. So I wake up, and, uh, you know, Rob and Marty are in the front seat, and they've just been talking, and they're awake, and, you know, I've sort of been napping off and on, and we're supposed to be on the 210 West, going west, right? You guys follow me here? Yeah. Trying to get back to Pasadena area, right? And... I wake up and I immediately, it appears to me that we're on the 210 East. And so I mentioned that to Rob and Marty. I go, I, I think we're going the wrong direction. I think we're on the 210 East and we should be going the 210 West. And they both immediately go, no, 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 no. We're on the right road. Just go back to sleep. Um, and, but then... You know, I mean, it's, it's dark outside, but I go, we're heading east, and if you know, if you travel the east-west, the 210, a lot of us have, the San Gabriel Mountains are on the north side of the freeway, right? So I said, you know, guys, I'm pretty sure that if we're driving in this direction and the mountains are on this side of us, that we're going east. Yeah, yeah. And... Humble men that they were, immediately, they looked at the mountains and they go, you know, I think you're right. We've got to turn around and go the other way. You know, sometimes in much more important ways than, you know, what road we're traveling and what direction we're going and whether we're going to get home. By the way, I'm really glad that you guys admitted, you know, that you were wrong. 
or we would have driven, I guess, all the way to New York City. Uh, where does the 10 go? Jacksonville. Uh, maybe longer. Maybe we just drove right into the ocean. Uh, so I'm really happy you guys were humble. It was a good illustration. You immediately turned around and I was encouraged and I, 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 don't, I don't remember what happened, but I assume I went back to sleep then. Uh, probably so. You know, there's some topics that I think we, we need to be honest with ourselves. Remember, I've asked you to be a moment of personal reflection. There's some topics that are particularly hard for us to admit that we're wrong. Three of them that came immediately to mind. One is politics. Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, we got a lot of people in this room with a lot of different political... We got ultra-liberals, we got right-wing conservatives. I'm sorry if you're offended by that. Uh, we got a lot of us that are somewhere in between. But every one of you think you're right. It's hard politics, right? We try to stay away from politics. Another thing that it's very hard to admit that you might be wrong about is parenting. I mean, regardless of how, you know, we think we learned everything we need by all the, by all the things our parents did wrong. And that's why I'm really proud of our church because we have this good enough parenting class and a lot of us that have been parents for a long time and new parents and prospective parents... We're trying to humbly look and say, okay, how can I grow? I can be a better parent. I want to be the best parent I can. Perhaps not everything I'm doing is right. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not. Good enough parenting. We're just trying to grow. We're trying to be better. We're trying to, you know, improve. The next, may the next generation be less dysfunctional. Yeah. Right? There's a good goal for you. You know, can we just get a little bit better? That's what I tell my children. I go, look, can you just do a little better job than we've done? Uh, Mary Kay and I. But then especially, I think, the last one here is when it comes to religion. When it comes to matters of faith, it just seems so difficult. It, I think it threatens our self-esteem. It threatens our, you know, uh, opinion of who, who we are or where we rank in the world or something. We just don't want to. It's just so hard to admit that you're wrong. Well, Jesus faced this as well. Are you in Mark chapter 3? You should be, because I've given you plenty of time to get there. So if you've been following along, Jesus is about a year into his public ministry. In other words, when he was about 30 years old, he started preaching and proclaiming the message, proclaiming himself to be the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Chosen One. And so he's going around, he's doing a lot of miracles, and he's preaching and teaching, and yet, very soon into this, he starts being opposed by the Jewish religious leaders of the day. A lot of you might know that already. And so Marcel did the lesson last week in chapter 2, but several examples of that in chapter 2. He's healed this paralytic man, but yet they criticize him because he also told him his sins is forgiven. Who do you think you are forgiving sins? Then he goes and has dinner with uh, Levi or Matthew, the tax collector, and then the religious leaders are criticizing him for that. Like, why are you, you know, eating dinner with these uh, tax collectors and tenor, sinners, embracing them? And then, you know, they had all these rules on fasting, and 
you know, not that fasting is not a good idea, but the Jews, Jewish religious leaders had a very prescribed uh, time and frequency and how you're supposed to do it. And, you know, Jesus and his followers, they didn't obey that, so they got criticized. And then they had the thing where they were on the Sabbath day, the day of rest, they were picking grain in the fields and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So, you know, they had a hard time with that. So the, the opposition is increasing. And then we get to really a pretty significant event. This event that we're going to read here in Mark 3 is uh, so significant, I guess, that it, it occurs in Matthew and Luke. They also have their own versions of the same story. So let's read together. We're in search of the real Jesus. So as we read here, uh, let me just warn you, spoiler alert, this might not fit your current picture of who Jesus is. It might be that what you read here is going to surprise you in maybe some ways that we need to be surprised about who the real Jesus is. It says in verse 1, Another time, he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. So this man, evidently his paralyzed hand or withered hand, you know, we don't know exactly, but he had a, a long-term uh, physical problem. Some of them... We're going to see here, he's talking about the Jewish religious leaders. We're looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Remember, we already talked about the Sabbath, seventh day of the week, Jewish law. You know, it's supposed to be a day of rest. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Now what we don't read here that Luke and Matthew say is that Jesus was actually in the middle of teaching in the synagogue and they asked him a question. They were really looking for an opportunity to try to embarrass or to criticize Jesus. And they asked him the question, they go, would it be, would it be right for you to, you know, you're doing all these miracles, would it be right for you to heal somebody on the Sabbath, maybe this man here with this, uh, this bad hand? So then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or evil? To save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees, that's the Jewish religious leaders, went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The Herodians, if you didn't know, the king of the area was Herod. He was a convert to Judaism, the Roman government, which was ruling, had set Herod up to rule the land. He was a client king, is a fancy word of a way of saying it. But most of the Jews hated Herod because, sort of like the tax collectors, he claimed to be a Jew, but yet he was working for the Roman government. And of course, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, they hated. You know, the, the tax collectors and sinners. But now, these Herodians, these supporters of Herod, these people of influence, they even now 
sort of the enemies come together. They, they said, we're going to join together here to see because we got to get rid of this Jesus. Isn't this a sad story in many ways? So sad. The Sabbath tradition and why this was, a, was a, uh, an issue was the Sabbath tradition, you know, they, they knew the command not to work. So they had developed all these rules and traditions about how you should apply that on the Sabbath. And one of the Sabbath traditions that the Jews had come up with, not in the Bible, was that you could not receive medical attention for any injury unless your life was in danger. Are you following this? I don't know how they came up with that rule or where they... So in other words, if you fractured a bone on the Sabbath, you could not get any medical attention until the next day. If you cut yourself, you couldn't get any medical attention to the next day. Is that not ridiculous? Yeah. Yet at the same time, they were tradition bound. They were convinced they were right. They felt really, they were very sincere in what they believed. They, they felt like that we know we're just trying to obey God's word here. They also had another interpretation that Jesus challenged them on in Matthew's account. You can read it. It's Matthew 12, Luke 6, or the other accounts. In the same occasion, Jesus says, So, if one of your sheep falls into a, 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 a pit on the Sabbath, what do you do? Oh, we, we pull him out. So, you think it's okay, according to your rules, to pull out a sheep out of a pit on the Sabbath. Of course, you understand why that, that's my money right there we're talking about, right? That's like, you know, I dropped several thousand dollars out of my wallet. I'm going to pick that up. That sheep is coming out of that pit. I don't care if it is the Sabbath. But somebody else, you feel that way about something that belongs to you, that's financially significant to you, but somebody else who's got a lifelong problem, a hand that is withered, shriveled, paralyzed, and you don't think that it's right for me by the power of God with a single word, with a single thought, not like he's doing a lot of work. I mean, it'd be really a lot of work for me and you. Right? To heal a man who is paralyzed. In fact, I don't think we could be able to do that. But Jesus says, you think that... And so, you can understand, can't you? Why Jesus' reaction was what it was? What's even more sad about this is there were some things about Jesus... And this maybe even helps us if you, if you need to strengthen your faith. There were some things about Jesus that they obviously already knew. First of all, the whole reason they tried to trap him is they believed that Jesus could heal the man. They'd seen enough miracles already. They also understood correctly about Jesus that he was a man of compassion. And they believed that he would care and so I don't know if this guy normally attended the synagogue. But, you know, he was there that Saturday. He might not have, maybe, well, they may have brought him in just as a, uh, just to just use him for this particular situation. But they believed that Jesus not only had the power to heal, but that Jesus had the heart and the compassion to heal. And they also, they brought it up right in the middle of everybody. Because remember, they're trying to trap Jesus. They also understood about Jesus that he was the kind of man that if he felt like it was right 
to heal him, he would heal him whether they thought it was right or not. Right. In search of the real Jesus. So what does Jesus do? You know, he could have done... You know what he did? And I don't know if this surprises you. I mean, I'm glad Mark wrote in here a few things about letting us know what his heart is. It says, Jesus was greatly distressed. He was distressed because of their stubborn hearts. Jesus was angry. Does that fit your picture of Jesus? I hope it does. And what does Jesus do? You know, it reminds me of... Uh, you guys uh, watch the movie Braveheart? Yeah. Well, that's good. More of you know that than... Obviously, you didn't know about Charles Barkley's book. But anyway... You know, there's one of my favorite scenes, and I bet a lot of you, you like Braveheart, you know, they got the battle going on with, and things. So William Wallace is the, you know, Mel Gibson, he's the hero of the, 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 the group there. And so, you know, they get all together, and, you know, William Wallace starts telling, they say, what are you, where are you going, William? What are you going to do, William? I'm going to pick a fight. Remember that? That's what Jesus... That's what Jesus does here. He says, okay. Brought the man up right in front of everybody and healed him and took them on and challenged that conversation with them and tried to help them. He tried everything he could. Things had built to this point where he did that. And it's so sad. I mean, he, Jesus could have waited till the next day to heal the man. He could have done it in private after the Sabbath service. But Jesus, what's Jesus trying to do? Why did He do it then? Why did He do it that way? And here's the, the main point for today. And it's a point for all of us. The real Jesus desperately wants us to see the truth about ourselves. You see where we're going there? Jesus desperately wants all of us to see the truth about ourselves. To perhaps see where we have assumed that we are right when we are actually wrong. He's doing everything He can to, in love to expose them. Now we got just a few minutes here. So I'll, uh, I'll open it up for a little bit of discussion. Yeah, yeah. You know, I learned this from Jesus, Marcel. You want this is something for you to go back and study on your own. But Jesus spoke to large crowds of people, frequently much larger than this, thousands even. But frequently about Jesus Jesus services were not they were not ritualistic, they were not formalistic. Uh, they were not high church. You didn't have to dress up. And he had frequently had conversations with the crowd and individuals in the crowd during his messages. Go back and read that. Uh, huh? Uh, no, I'm not going to feed any of you. Uh, he's talking about the feeding of the 5,000. But maybe it's obvious, but I'd like to get a few comments. What do you see and learn about the real Jesus from this story. 
What do you learn about the real Jesus? Tom McCurry? Even in, see, if we just stopped and said that Jesus was angry, that might, some alarms might go off, right? Because most of us, can I be honest, most of us, when we get angry, we're in sin. At least that's frequently true. But the truth is, there is a righteous anger, and there's an appropriate anger, and there's some things, if you're not angry about them, then there's something wrong with you. And one way to upset, well, how do I know when it's righteous? Well, you know what you always got to do is check your heart and figure out, ask yourself, why are you angry? It's because you personally have been offended, and it's about you, then it's probably unrighteous anger. What is Jesus, why is he angry? And this is the thing, it's because he loved these people so much. You say, well, what do you mean? He, he, he embarrassed them. He, he humiliated them in this crowd. Well, first of all, they asked for it. Right. But beyond that, this is Jesus building to this point, doing everything he can to get through to them. They've seen the miracles. They've seen how he loves the sinners. They've seen so much. They've heard so much. He's trying to teach them. He's trying to change their mind. And they won't get it. And he's deeply distressed. Why? Because he cares about them. And he hurts over their stubborn hearts. Later on in the Gospels, Jesus said at the end, when he's going to the cross, and some of these same people are still opposing him. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather your, to myself like a hen does her, her chicks because he wanted so desperately. He, you know, he's a hero for us because he's a friend of the tax collectors and sinners. And the truth of it is most of us relate to them better, don't we? We got a church. If you're visiting here today, let me tell you, we're a church full of tax collectors and sinners. More sinners but just a few tax collectors. <laughs> Most of us, probably bigger, but we didn't used to pay our taxes. But that's another thing. <laughs> but we're a hero because we identify, yeah, we love the way Jesus loved the religious leaders in all their arrogance, in all their pride, in all their insecurity, just as much as he did the, the tax collectors and sinners. Are you following me, Marcel? Is Marcel the only one that gets it? <laughs> I don't think so. We get it, don't we? This is how much he cares. And you know, the sad thing is, I said we're going to have a discussion, but thank you, Tom, for having a discussion. (laughs) Tom and I had a discussion. Unfortunately, I have no time for the rest of you. No time, Harvey. Send me an email, okay? We'll talk about it later. Don't send me an email. I I don't like emails. But here's the sad thing. These people had so... You look at it and you're almost astounded. How could they not believe? It's obvious Jesus did the miracle. They believed it themselves. They saw Jesus' compassion. They saw, you know, so much evidence and yet they still refused to believe. 
You know why? Because at the end of the day, we don't know all the reasons. They just couldn't handle the fact that maybe they were wrong. Maybe they had spent all these years studying the Old Testament Scriptures, studying the law, and trying to be, and I believe they were very sincere. I'm going to choose to believe they were very sincere, trying to do what's right, going to law. They made up all these rules, which in their mind were just efforts to do the best they could, to put into practice the principles that were there. And they couldn't believe that they were wrong. And that maybe their parents had been wrong. And their grandparents had been wrong. Sorry, any of you grandparents out there. I'm a grandparent myself now. Proud of that. Uh, but you just, for whatever reason, they just couldn't accept that they had got it wrong. And Jesus is trying to help them. Jesus is trying to help us. How about us? Let's bring it on home here as we close out. I think if we relate to this, if we could try to relate to these guys, their actions and even their refusal to hear what Jesus is saying, might, we might relate to that a lot more than we want to admit. You see where I'm going here? The reason we did this lesson today, we're looking for the real Jesus, but it's not so we could all go home today and feel like, well, I am so much better than these religious leaders. No, what really ought to be happening today is all of us ought to go, you know, I need to really guard my heart, and I need to make sure I'm not the guy with a stubborn heart or the girl with a stubborn heart, and that I'm not distressing Jesus, and that Jesus is perhaps not angry with me because I am being just like them. Assuming I'm right about matters of faith and spiritual issues when I don't, and I'm not really there. Is it possible that we all have blind spots? Right? You know why they call them blind spots? Because you can't see them. When you're driving down the road, here's another trip for you teens that are, are you, any of you guys driving yet? Not you, EJ. You're driving, aren't you? Okay. EJ's not a teen. EJ's not a teen. I know that. It's supposed to be funny. Um, we got a few teens that are driving. But here's the thing that I learned early on. When you're driving, and you're in L.A. especially, and there's all these parallel lanes, right? You, when I grew up in Tennessee, if you were driving in the right lane, there was nothing over there. You know, just only two lanes. So, But if you're driving one of these lanes in the middle of the freeway, there's a place, it's called a blind spot, where... It's not visible to you out of your peripheral vision, and it's not visible to you out of your rear view mirror. So you know what you need to do before you move over to the right lane? What do you need to do? Turn your head. You need to check your blind spot. Thank you. Very good. Do you have your driver's license yet? You have your permit? Well, you're good to go. Okay, so... Uh, but here's the thing. And so when Mary Kay and I first got married... She was very impressed because I would drive her around, you know, and, and, and she was like, oh, I love that. You always check your blind spot. And, you know, I learned something from you because I wasn't in the habit of doing that. You always look, you know, always take a quick look before you change lanes. And then, unfortunately, I got older and I didn't feel the need to check my blind spots anymore. <laughs> 
It was really bad because I won't allow Mary Kay to drive. I know, at least when I'm in the car. I mean, she could drive. I'm sorry, I know it's... I got many problems. That's just one of them. That's just one of them. But she really didn't like it when I didn't check my blind spot because I'm moving on land. She's the one in the passenger seat. But see, maybe that's an illustration how as we get older, perhaps we're not checking ourselves as much as we used to. Some of us think, well, you know, I got converted. I'm talking to you who have been Christians a long time. Well, I got converted 20 years ago. And I got converted 25 years ago. And I finally figured it out that I was wrong and the religion I'd been taught and the faith that I had or the no faith that I had or whatever. And now I'm, I'm a Christian now. And, you know, I changed once. And so I'm good to go. <laughs> and we act like this is something that happens once. Is it possible that even people in our fellowship, card-carrying members of the International Churches of Christ, baptized in the blood of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit? And I'm not mocking that. I'm saying, is it possible that even us in our personal lives and in our church culture could, without really being very sincere, without really realizing it, Start holding on to traditions. In fact, I do not think it's just possible. I think it is actually likely. This is a decision I've made, and I hope you all join me. I don't care how many years we're in the faith, I want us all to have the courage and the softness and openness of heart to constantly be examining everything we think about Jesus, who He is, what He taught, how He wants us to live, and how He wants our church to be. And to not ever be afraid to make changes, even if they're radical changes, even if they're different than when we've done it before. Can we decide to do that together? I tell you what, I've started doing it more in the last 10 years. And I know I need to keep growing, so I'm asking you to grow with me. But I can tell you, life for me as a Christian, as a minister, as a leader, got a lot better once I gave up the illusion of my own perfection. I used to think, I used to think that as an evangelist and a church leader, I had to be right all the time. And then if I wasn't right, and I didn't stick to my guns, then probably I was going to get fired, and people wouldn't respect me, and, you know, I can't, I can't let people think that I'm human. Right? I tell you what, if you've ever been there, that life is hard. I mean, you know it isn't true. They know it isn't true. We're all trying to act like it's not true. But it's true. See, if, we, if I take that attitude or you take that attitude, we are going to become in no different people than these people. Amen. And you know what? Jesus is going to look at us and maybe he's looking at you today and he's going, he is greatly distressed at your stubborn heart. And he's angry. Yes, it's a righteous thing. He is angry with you because you don't, 
There's no reason for you to continue on the path you and you just stubbornly continue. He's trying to get through to you. He's trying to reach you. And you're not paying attention. You know, there's so much to learn here. And we don't have time to do it all. By the way, Jeannie Munoz was going to share. Sit back down, Jeannie. Uh, I'm sorry. It's my fault. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I would like Jeannie. Jeannie was going to share her conversion story, but uh, we're going to ask, can you do it next week? Sure. Do you, do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? Can you say that out loud? Thank you. Because I just went a little too long here. But I think we've got to close out with a couple of questions. As we're re-examining. I, I just think it's healthy for us to continually not be afraid to have the courage to re-examine our own faith and to re-examine our own heart. Could it be that we haven't understood love the way that we need to? Could it be that love is, is more than just being kind and just being gracious and just being merciful and just being compassionate? This is another kind of love right here. But it's no less love when Jesus exposes them publicly and He's angry with them. That's love too. Perhaps we need to continue to grow in our understanding of what love is. Perhaps we are stubborn in our hearts about what we believe or about maybe there's sin in your life and you have somehow keep trying to rationalize that it's okay for me to live this way and God's a God of grace and God's a God of mercy and Jesus is saying repent. And He's greatly distressed at your stubborn heart. And He's angry because you don't want to come clean. You don't want to confess. You don't want to be real. You don't want to be honest. You don't want to deal with that sin in your life. can happen. We could be victims of tradition. You know, there's a thing that has become a popular phrase in the world today. It's called groupthink. You guys ever heard of that? Groupthink. It's a dynamic where a, a group of people who are together constantly over time, they all become, they all start thinking the same way, which is not necessarily bad. But the problem is, then you become, you get in this groupthink, and you draw comfort from the fact that other people think exactly like you do, and so then. You're not open anymore to new truth. Whether it's about yourself or it's about your church. So I have an assignment for you. The real Jesus desperately wants us to see the truth about ourselves. And can we all agree, and I'm including myself in here, that there's something in all of our lives that's going on right now about what we believe or who we are or what's in our heart that we need to see that we don't see. Can we all agree on that? You may not know what it is, but let's just agree there's something there. There's room to grow. So here's all I'm asking you to do. At least every day for the next week, pray that Jesus will help you see what you need to see about yourself. Not about your wife. Not about your husband. Not about your children. What does Jesus want you to see about yourself that you need to see?
You know, Jesus answers those prayers in many ways today, doesn't he? Sometimes when you're praying, if you pray that prayer, it just may be the, the Spirit of Jesus, not in an audible voice, but you may, you may, you may hear something. Right? You follow me? You may be reading a scripture, and you may see something. If you open up your mind, if you pray to see, you may see something about yourself that's even kind of shocking and alarming. Maybe it's another person. We always hate it when it's another person, don't we? I would really like to figure it out on my own. Problem is, we need each other. That's why we're together. That's why we're a community. And it's not just the people in this church. Sometimes people outside our church can help us to see ourselves better than anybody inside the church can. It's one of the reasons I read. It's one of the reasons I try to read a lot and listen and learn and be open. Sometimes the circumstances of our life show us things that we need to see about ourselves. But just pray that with me every day. Unless all of us Let's all of us experience the... I think Jesus wants to experience the freedom and the joy that comes from not having to always assume that you're right and that you got it right and that you know it all. Because that's really, not only it's a difficult place, that's a very boring place to be. It's exciting. None of us here have arrived... None of us here understand Jesus the way that we could. We all need to be growing. That's why we're doing this series. We're all trying to get a little better understanding of who Jesus is. Let's do that together. Let's pray. God, thank you for the uh, chance to examine our hearts. Thank you for your grace and mercy and your love. And uh, we do pray that even this week, you'll show us what we need to see about ourselves that perhaps we don't see. And that um, even this week, we can make great changes uh, in our lives as needed. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great rest of the day.